around here. Amen. And uh, matter of fact, today on your way out, if you look to your left when you go down the hall, there's a, a, a footprint, kind of a floor design of uh, what we're uh, planning to do over at the Okanagan property. That stuff just continues to move forward. I think we're right on track. Probably, uh, I don't know of anything now that could pop up there. They're having a meeting this week for a zone change, but it looks like that's going to go. Then we need a, a, a conditional use permit. Looks like that'll go. It's just the city stuff, which means buckle up. Anything could happen. But uh, we, we have a plan. We're believing God for big things. We went over this week uh, yesterday, and we had a work day there on the property. Matter of fact, if you were there at that work day, would you do me a favor? Would you just stand up? And you, you were on the property working yesterday. Give these guys a hand. I'm telling you. Yeah. And, uh, and you guys that could make it don't feel bad, we're going to give you an opportunity to impact that property in just a little bit. Call it an offering. <laughs> You guys are so uptight this morning. You, 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 it's, it's like we slept into a Presbyterian church and you're there. Uh, you, just relax and have fun. We don't care if you give an offering or not. That's, uh, 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 really don't. We're, 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 God's doing so many good things for us. We're, we're, we're excited and we, we're happy to be here and we're glad you're here. Amen. Yeah, and these guys, there was 80 plus people, I think, 75, 80, you know, uh, there were 70 some on the, on the property at one time, right? And then others would leave and some would come. So I don't know, somewhere near 600 people showed up and, and they worked and they got stuff done. And well, do we even own the property? Well, we're doing it to bless the heart of the owner. You do know that when we, when we get the building and it's all paid for and we move in there, actually when, when that all happens, it'll still be, uh, it's the same owner. Uh, we're doing it to bless the heart of the owner. And the people who are selling it to us, they agreed, hey, this is God's thing. That, guys, I can't wait. There's stuff about this that, we're, that, uh, that we have uh, uh, confidentiality clauses in that we can't talk about until it's done because in case it didn't go through, then you know, they wouldn't be obligated to, to do for others what they've done for us. Can't wait till this thing's all done. You're just going to blow your silly little minds. And, uh, uh, and, and, and you should be a lot more happy than you are. That's all I have to say. You should just be, you, you know, that's how you should be going. And, and, and you get to be a part of it. So just, just relax and enjoy what God's doing because he's doing some awesome stuff. I said he's doing some awesome stuff. Amen. Hey, uh, uh, you know, God has not only worked in our life here, but he has empowered us and enabled us to be effective all around the world. And, uh, you know, you heard this morning, we have teams going to Peru, we have teams going to Thailand, uh, uh, but we've, we've also impacted, you know, Nepal and India and with, with teams and uh, Haiti. And, you, you know, when, when we do the one day every year, uh, we do the one day offering and we take one day's wages and we bring it in and, and, uh, and we sow that into missions and, and it changed the course of our, uh, of our house. It's changed the uh, direction for a lot of families. There's all kinds of stories here. Uh, but it also, it opened doors for us to be connected to something that's so much bigger than, than we are by ourselves, and, and, you know, we, we really have never wanted to be a church that would offer somebody a piece of bread if we could figure out how to give them a loaf, right? And, and so connecting with something bigger than us has been huge for us. And, and uh, today we have, we have the, the, the honor and the privilege of having a great friend of mine and, and uh, uh, 
Jeff Swain is going to minister to us this morning, and he uh, represents Convoy of Hope. And Jeff's been in uh, how many countries? I'm not good at this, am I? I should practice. He's been in three countries in the last 24 hours. Uh, yeah, he just just got back. He was in Haiti last week. Uh, 27 countries. Convoy of Hope has been in 116 countries. Uh, 140,000 kids, uh, give or take a thousand, every day are fed through Convoy of Hope. We participate in that. Our fingerprints are on that. You're you're making an impact all around the world. And uh, and and this morning, I just want you to welcome to the platform uh, Jeff Swaim, great friend, great brother. Come on, bro. And uh, he's going to change our life. Good morning. It's great to be back in this area, the Tri-Cities. It's awesome. I love Pastor Tom. This guy, uh, we've known each other since 2009, and he's just one of the guys I really like to hang out with or talk with on the phone. He's just fun. I told the uh, earlier service today that he's a three-by-three leader, he floats three feet off the ground with the anointing of God. And then he's three feet off the wall crazy. And I just love that about him. And um, Shelby, his wife. You, you know what? You probably shouldn't have married a junior high girl, okay? Because she's never going to look old. She just looks so young. And Yeah, yeah. You're, you're like me. I mean, uh, I, I, I married so out of my league. Jeez, uh, my wife. She she's gorgeous. I mean, she's proof I was skinny at one time. So I was an athlete one time, and uh, about my athletic career. The older I get, the better I was. <clears throat> but I I really enjoy um, their boys too. They're they're fun. Of course, they're good-looking like they, they just came out of GQ magazine. But, wow, what a great, great family. You are very fortunate. I, I just love the fields, don't you? They're wonderful people. Yeah, give it up. Tom, Pastor Tom and I, we met at a, a lunch over at the Red Lion over by the airport. He, a friend of mine calls him out, come to play golf and come to lunch. I think you didn't even stay for golf. Yeah, but you signed up, yeah, I'll do One Day to Feed the World. But when you guys did One Day to Feed the World the first time, you blew everybody away, even yourselves. Because you gave, some of you gave out of your need to participate, to help people who have greater needs than you. People who have a lot less than you, or maybe they're going through a tough time because of a disaster, or you're going to feed kids, or support an outreach overseas where people are going to come to know Christ. And I want to thank you for your selflessness and your generosity. Because of your generosity, Convoy of Hope has been able to grow. When I joined Convoy 12 years ago, they had uh, reached uh, 2.3 million people in eight years. But since the idea of One Day to Feed the World that was thought up by a pastor in 02, and then we launched it in 03, Convoy has gone from ministering to 2.3 million people, and we just surpassed 65 million people because of One Day to Feed the World. Isn't that cool? <clears throat> last, last year, 
We minister to 8,990,000 people around the world through disasters, through outreaches, and our feeding initiative for kids. And we not only feed those kids, but a lot of times we'll feed their parents. And it's, it's unique. We got involved in the Children's Feeding Initiative because we found that in a lot of countries where there's abject poverty, we don't have that in our country, in, in the United States. Um, abject poverty is, unless somebody steps in, they really don't have a future. Many kids will, will die of starvation or hunger-related diseases, malnutrition, and their lives are shortened because of malnutrition. Well, we found in the nation of Haiti, El Salvador, and even in parts of Kenya, in the Mathari Valley, which is the second largest slum in the world, in this community, we, we discovered that kids were skipping school in order to panhandle or beg for money so they could eat that day. They weren't thinking about their future as an adult, what they're going to do to provide for their families. They weren't thinking about next month, about playing soccer. They weren't even thinking about next week playing soccer. They were thinking about, how can I survive today? So they were skipping school and giving up their future just to exist, survive. So we said, we can fix that. Why? Why did we feel we could fix that? Because we've got a procurement team that calls up food companies and asks for donations of truckloads of food. Last year, Convoy of Hope received from corporations $89 million worth of food and other supplies. You know what? That's amazing. You know, and, and your church was a big part of that because... You gave the funds enabling us to go get that stuff, match it with other stuff, and ship it to places around the world. That's what your part is, is, is doing. And it's phenomenal how when you give, God has a way of multiplying it when you match it with our other partners. And God brings, has brought to convoy partners with like-mindedness. And so when you partner with Convoy, you partner with our partners. And it's amazing what we can get done together. Or like in Haiti, uh, Pastor Tom's been there twice with me, and I think you won't see Convoy's name anywhere. Isn't that about right? And it's amazing what, what you can get done when you don't have to get the credit for it. <laughs> And so what we found in Haiti and other nations around the world are people that are doing what we want to get done, and that is to proclaim Jesus to people, and that they really have a future and a hope and eternity, but their needs are going to be met. School is going to happen. They have a future, and it's, it's amazing. So what we did is we found people that were doing some great things, and we made them stronger so they could expand the numbers of people that they were responding to. And in Haiti, where they were uh, begging for food, and we work in 11 other countries with our feeding program, but in almost in every situation, we'll give out a plate full of food at, at a school at, at lunchtime. And the kids get this heaping pile of food. It's more than Tom or I could eat or even eat together. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of food. And you say, how is that little kid going to eat all that? Well, typically they don't. They're stuffing food in their pockets or backpacks. Why? They're taking the food home to a little brother or sister, or even their mother. 
it's remarkable. So it's an incentive to come to school, but their moms go to school today, bring something home, you know. <laughs> it's, it's amazing when people who have very little, how unselfish they are. You know, we're blessed to live in America. We really are. Um, first time I went out of the country it was in 1984. I went to Haiti. Talk about shock and awe. That was it. I went, why me? Why am I so blessed? It's like a, a, a two-hour plane ride from Miami. Why am I so fortunate? Because I saw believers, you know, and things like that, and they were, you couldn't tell they didn't have anything because they had such joy in their heart from Jesus. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to feel guilty for what I have because I am blessed, but I am going to feel responsible. I'm going to do what I can to help people, help kids. And I end up a convoy of hope some years later, and we're helping millions of people every single year because of folks like you who are generous. And yes, convoy of hope, we do feed kids around the world, but we also respond to disasters. Currently, we are responding to the earthquake in Haiti, uh, and I'll just go around the world. Hurricane Sandy in, in the northeast, New York, uh, New Jersey, we're still there. Joplin tornado that took place uh, when I was here last time, th uh, three years ago, uh, this Tuesday, it, it took place, um, or this Wednesday. Yeah, it, it took place. I was sitting right over here, and I was starting to get texts from the Midwest. There's been a huge tornado, you know, and I was dispatching my responsibilities and protocols during a uh, disaster from the, the fourth row over here, and it, it was pretty amazing uh, what our response has been there. Uh, we've rebuilt a lot of homes, deployed a lot of work teams to come and remove debris. It's been amazing. We're still working in Moore, Oklahoma, rebuilding homes, and that was a big one. We're still working in the Philippines, okay, Hurricane Haiyan, and we have expanded our feeding initiative there because it's spread out through so many islands. We're working in Japan, the earthquake and tsunami over there, and you pray for us there. We, we had never worked in Japan, and Japan, it's shameful to receive help. So that's a shift on our, you know, paradigm. So we've had to find creative ways to minister to people over there and present Christ and, and to do it through the body of Christ or the church. We work through churches wherever we go. And it's, it's not pulling up and then pulling out of town. No, we empower churches to do ministry so that when we pull out of town, there's still ministry, and we can support those churches. So when you help through Convoy Hope, what you're doing is empowering and equipping churches to help their neighbors. Isn't that cool? And we've got a network of globally uh, what's happening. It's multi-denominational, not one specific denomination at all, but it's multi-denominational what's happening. It's exciting. And we do community outreaches where we'll bring together churches, all kinds of denominations, and the government, and will help businesses come together to help their neighbors. And any given Saturday, we'll have multiple outreaches. Throughout this summer, we'll have our 1,000th outreach this summer. Somewhere here in America, I don't know what the count is right now, but we're, we're getting close. And uh, what will happen is we'll provide about a quarter of a million to a million dollars worth of goods and services for a community in about a six-hour time. <laughs> and that's pretty cool. And hundreds of people come to know Christ on those Saturdays. And it is remarkable. 
All because of people like you who uh, don't give to Convoy, but you give through Convoy to meet needs. And I want to thank you for that. God bless you. This morning, I want to talk to you about a supreme love for Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's wonderful to know Jesus, and it's wonderful to, to know about him, and it's wonderful to be forgiven of the things we've done wrong in life. But it's, the Christian life is more than forgiveness of sins. And I want to talk to you about a, an amazing passage in the Bible, if we can bring that up. <clears throat> this is a shock and awe verse. You'll be reading along in Luke 14, and then you'll come across this verse and go, Jesus didn't mean that. No way. <laughs> it's one of those verses that has so much horseradish or a bite to it. It's almost like unbelievable that he said that. Well, he was walking through the countryside doing miracles, teaching with authority, and there was a great big crowd coming after him. He turned to his closest followers, and he said this verse. Let's, let's read it together. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And some of us might be thinking, okay, to be a disciple, we've got to go home and be a grump. No problem. we got discipleship going on at our house. Easy. Well, the thing is, Jesus was talking to the Jewish community. They loved each other. He knew that. They knew he knew that. He was drawing a comparison for them. It's not enough just to be following me around. Like Sunday go to meeting, there's a lot of crowds across America today, people showing up for church. It's not enough to show up. He was saying, your love for me must be supreme. In fact, he was saying, I know how much you love your family, but your love for your family is like hate compared to your supreme love for me if you're going to be my disciple. Now, I shared this with our youth worker staff in Albany, Oregon, where I was a youth pastor for about 10 years. Who said who, who? You're from Albany? Salem. Salem. That's not Albany. But uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I went to Salem to actually see civilization. But, uh, <laughs> but she said, God doesn't expect us to, to love him more than we love our family. No way. And I said, yes, way. And uh, I said, in fact, if you love Jesus more than you love your family, your family will receive so much more love from you because God will love through you. And she said, right. <laughs> she didn't get it. So I was in my natural pose holding a coffee cup. Not like this. It had coffee in it. But uh, I said, you know how much I like coffee, right? She said, yeah, you're an addict. I'd proven it. But uh, I said, I wouldn't use a dirty cup, would I? No, you'd clean out the cup, you'd wash it out, and I said, okay, I have a clean cup, I put coffee in it, all the way to the top, and I'm standing around holding that cup of coffee, and I get bumped or something. What's going to happen? 
She said, well, you're going to spill coffee all over yourself. I said, uh, yeah, that's right. That's kind of the way God works in our life. He is not going to fill a dirty vessel, a dirty life, a dirty heart, a dirty mind, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> with his presence. He's going to clean it up. And that's why we need to understand and experience 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, sin means that we miss God's expectations. It's an archery term where we miss the bullseye. It's called sin. We miss the bullseye. And so we miss God's standards, his expectations for us. We confess our sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and he will wash us, cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. That's what takes place on the inside. Then he comes in to our life and lives there. He takes up residence in us. And I tell you, he comes in, and it's a new experience in life. Isn't it great? And just like your favorite beverage, when it's cold or hot, the weather doesn't matter. You get a good taste of that beverage, and you want some more, right? Me, I, I like a good cup of coffee, and it's great. I want some more because I'm addicted. But anyway, no. I, you know, like my wife, she likes iced tea. She's from Indiana. She'll drink iced tea in her bare feet all the time. I don't know, Indiana, bare feet, iced tea. It works. But I want some more. And when you get a real taste of Jesus that's authentic, you want some more of him. That's why you keep showing up at this church. It's a great place. If you're new today, welcome home. This is a real neat church. Something real is going on here. And the worship time is awesome, but the family here and the teaching. And Pastor Tom, I mean, he's laying it out, man how to follow Christ. This is an exciting church. And when you get a taste of that, you want some more and some more and some more. In fact, Jesus said it this way. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They're filled. When you're hungry for more of Jesus, guess what? You're going to get fed up. All right? When you're thirsty for more of Jesus, you're going to have some more. And what's really cool, the more hunger and thirst you have for Jesus, the more he's going he's gonna to reveal himself to you, the more he's going to move in to where you are going to experience God's, wet, God's, God's uh, love for you to where it's going to be overflowing. You're not just going to be an object of God's love, but you're going to be an instrument of God's love where he moves in you, then through you. That When you are jarred by life's demands with some kind of argument or a situation that's uncomfortable, being full of Jesus means that you're just going to spill God's love everywhere. And we can be Jesus with skin on Everywhere we go, the love of God just pouring through us. Pretty awesome. When you get thirsty and more and more thirsty and more and more hungry for Jesus, you know what that is? That's passion. I remember 
when I started dating Kathy, my wife, it, it's like I could, couldn't get enough of this lady. It's still that way. We're best buddies. I, she calls me buddy. I call her buddy. And it's pretty cool, this relationship that's so alive. And, and I just want to be around her a lot. The thing with Jesus, the more you get of him, the more you want. And where he begins to capture your desires, even gives you new desires, it begins to capture the things you're devoted to, that which you defend. It begins to capture your dreams, aspirations in life, your frustrations, that which causes you happiness, that which you laugh at, the things you entertain yourself with and getting lost in reality. It, it, he's going to capture those things. He's going to capture how you see your work. He's, he's going to capture your your, your attitudes, he's going to capture your schedule, your pocketbook, the things you have a hard time forgiving others about. I mean, it, it, it's going to, you're going to be captured because God's love is more important to you. Your the love for Jesus becomes supreme, and that's up to you. No one else. That I fall madly in love with Jesus, that I grow intimate with him. And, yeah, guys can do that. Grow intimate with Jesus. And, it, and it's really cool when I see a man of God who has a supreme love for Jesus. He is a man's man. I mean, I've met two people in my life where there's always an argument going around. No, I'm his best friend. <laughs> because they ooze Jesus and give significance to so many people. Everybody feels close to them. And people want to be like them. And their whole life is the epitome of follow me as I follow Christ. It's amazing. And here's what happens. We become like David, pursuing after the heart of God. Let me tell you, when you capture God's heart and he's caught yours, he captured yours, things transform. You, you no longer look at people the same way. In our humanity, oftentimes we... We look at people and say, well, there's a problem to be solved. And now it's different. We look at people through the eyes of Jesus, and his eyes are blurred with tears of compassion. And instead of looking at people as a problem to be solved, we look at people as someone to be served. That's transformational, folks. Because what we do is we begin to weep over the hearts and lives of people who are not living for God. We pray for them that they'll come to know Christ. Everything in our life comes into a partnership with Jesus to where we, we become interested in the things that he's interested in, and he is not willing that anyone should perish. We become a partner with Jesus in praying people into the kingdom, and we do everything we can to lead our, our friends and neighbors to Christ, our neighbors, because maybe there's someone in their life that's praying them into the kingdom. And I think we're doing, we're an extension of the prayers of so many people when we present Christ, even to a total stranger, because somebody might be praying for them. I know somebody is, because somebody might be praying in the Spirit for someone. You never know. Wow. And then when we see people and we serve them, we become like Jesus. The more passion we have for Jesus, the more compassion we have for others. Compassion is not having sympathy for somebody. 
merely feeling sorry for somebody. Compassion is not empathy, merely understanding somebody's problem. Compassion is action. Just like Jesus, he was moved with compassion, and he did something about it. He prayed for people. He fed the hungry. He loved on people. And because of his compassion, people were moved by his compassion. Verse 25, right before this verse, there was a great crowd coming after him, following him. Why? Because they experienced the compassion of Jesus. And I'm telling you, you want to see churches across America filled? It'll happen when God's people have a supreme, passionate love for Jesus and his love flows through us. And we become Jesus with skin on and people sense it and they want some of that. They want some of what you got. It's real. It's real. Wow. Compassion. This passion for Jesus, this supreme love for Jesus is not just for church. It impacts those we love the most. Our family, really. It mends families, this supreme love. It really does. My wife and I, we've been married for 36 and a half years. And, uh, yeah, I know. We, it's... We had to get special permission to marry in grade school. But, uh, but it, it's amazing. I married my best buddy. And she is really the most selfless person I've ever known. Selfless, selfless, selfless. And uh, th- that which destroys relationships, one or both parties acted in a selfish manner any type of relationship. One or both people acted selfishly. That's uh, the way it is. My wife and I, we've, we've never even had a fight. Uh, neighbors have heard us talk. But uh, <laughs> let that settle in. But no, we've, we've, ne- we've never raised our voices at each other. It's, it's just really cool. We have two daughters. They're expensive still. They're so old, I lie about their age. Uh, but it's, it's a remarkable adventure. Um, when the kids were growing up, I told them, I love you guys. Love you too, Dad. Ten minutes later, we're driving down the road. Guess what? You love us. You love our mom. <laughs> I always told them how much I loved their mom because um, I didn't want them to end up on Dr. Phil. <clears throat> but... You know, I think it's the guy. In fact, I, I know this. It's the guy who sets the tone of love in, in the home. Paul said it. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. He said it over and over again. And I think it's important that we set the tone. And that we get along with our spouse because it adds security to our kids. Really amazing. And you know, growing up, I was telling this early service uh, that, you know, I'm a grandpa now. And uh, I got this theory, just a theory, that grandkids are a reward for not killing your own kids. 
And when we found out we were going to be grandparents, Kathy said, I'm going to go get some diapers. And I said, you're not that old yet. But uh, <laughs> she laughed. Why aren't you? Come on. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. And we had simple rules when their kids were growing up. Do what I say! You know, I didn't really, really yell at my kids, really. Uh, you know, it was just we had rules with reason. One of the rules, they couldn't ride with a friend who had their license less than six months because that person didn't have enough experience behind the wheel. Maybe they were showing up, showing off, or they just weren't good at it yet. But Stephanie, uh, when she was 15, she caught a ride home with a friend who had her license, just a few months older than Stephanie, and this person gave Stephanie a ride home. She broke a rule. First rule I found about, found out about that she broke, found out about, key. So Stephanie sees her friend driving, and she says, can I drive? Sure. So she gets behind the wheel and forgets to buckle up and to turn left on our street. It's a good idea to, uh, you know, slow down, but she had never even driven the lawnmower. So she plants Jessica's car into a telephone pole. Boom. She sails over the steering wheel and breaks out the windshield with her forehead, bubbles it out, shatters the windshield. I've seen impacts kill people like that, within like that. So they take her in the neighbor's kitchen. I'm coming home from work, and I'm going to go golf with my brother-in-law. And people are waving me down because the, the street is full of emergency vehicles. And I'm coming into the scene. What idiot drove the car up on the yard? And so Stephanie heard that I was there. And she said, my dad's here. He's going to kill me. Oh. You know, and I walk in. Daddy, daddy, I'm so sorry. As if I'm going to kill her. Too many witnesses. So um, I take her to the emergency room. We get her there. And I said, Steph, I love you, honey. I love you too, Daddy. I said, uh-uh. No, you don't get it. I have rules to protect you, not to destroy you. That's later and a perk I look forward to. <laughs> But I said, actually, honey, if I could, I would trade places with you. I love you that much. You do? Yeah, and I'll go a step further. This is the honest truth, Steph. I would die for you. That's how much I love you. Mom and Dad, you love your kids that much, right? Better nod. Your kids are watching. But you have that passionate love. For those you love the most, right? You would give up your life. That's how intense and passionate your love is for those you love the most. Let's grasp this picture here with this verse. Our love, according to this verse, for those we love the most is like hate compared to our love for Jesus. If we're going to make an impact on our world. But the thing is, my wife and kids, they absolutely know that I'm crazy in love with them. They know it. I mean, I show it and I tell them and I, I hug them a lot. Eh, get a room, you kind of deal. And it, it's, it, it's, they know I love them, but they know I love Jesus more. They're okay with that deal. Because my wife knows she gets a better husband out of that. 
And my kids know they get a better, better dad out of that. In my humanity, I do not possess the love they desire or deserve or what God wants in their life. But with God working in me and through me, I'm not just an object of God's blessing going through life alone, but God is rubbing off on me, flowing in me and through me to those I love the most and beyond. And what's really cool is the greatest day in my life would be when my daughters say to me, Dad, I love you, but I love Jesus more. Mission accomplished. Why? Because they will do things or not do things because they love Jesus. Not just because I say so or for fear of disappointing me. But they love Jesus. And let me tell you, that is holiness. You do things out of love or not do things because you love Jesus. And I know a lot of people get hung up. That religious stuff, just a bunch of rules and don'ts. Let me tell you, as a believer, in Ephesians 5.10, it says, find out what pleases God. If you concentrate on doing the do's, you won't have time for the don'ts. Okay? And not only that, you kind of forget all the, the negative stuff. When God's love is so positive and his love and your love for him is so supreme in your life. And I want to thank you for being a group of people who really genuinely love Jesus and love each other. Now spread it around. God bless you. Amen. Hey, man, look at somebody close to you say, I love God. I love God. You know, isn't it crazy? But the more you love him, the more you, you, the more you go after God, the more you actually love him. The more you learn about God, the more you love him. And, and, and that, that love that, that, uh, that we're talking about, you know, it used to be kind of weird. I don't know. Maybe it's just a, the mind, the picture in my mind. You know, you talk about, you know, love. And, you know, I just see, you know, soft and weak. And uh, can I just tell you that what God has for us? Ain't nothing soft about it. Ain't nothing weak about it. But it has the ability to change everything in your life. I'm telling you, the real relationship with God changes everything. And, and whatever the picture is in your mind, uh, what if you're wrong? What if, what if God had actually something a lot better for you, but you're being held away from that just because of some weird mindset that you had? That's what was happening in my life. I just thought that really living for God, I grew up in church. And, and, and the crazy thing is that the church I grew up in painted a picture that had nothing to do with the reality of what God wanted for my life. It was just some weird religious picture. And that kept me from serving God. And today, I just want to challenge you. Get beyond your mindset and just allow God to, to fill your life with his love for you. You don't have to worry, well, what if I don't want to love others? You don't even have to worry about that. His love in you, it, that's just, let's just start there and watch what happens to your life. Amen. I want you to close your eyes, bow your head.